Chisels are big. Okay, but then there should be shooting bloods. Hey, Maniacs! Welcome to Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything we love. We're your hosts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Mark. We're both maniacs. We are certainly maniacs. But you probably know that by now, episode 26. Yes. So uh, just a little warning, if your uh, show is too much for your kids, for instance, uh, bad tacky clothing might be too much for your kids, then the podcast will be too much for them. But if they can watch the show, they're going to listen to the podcast. So can I tell you a story before we dive in? Yes, please tell me a story. <laughs> so as you know, last week I spoke at a conference and it was um, a development conference for people who wanted to like grow their personal businesses or grow their small businesses. And I was talking about using social media strategically. Yes. And I just happened to kind of mention in this three hour workshop I was running that we did a podcast yes. together and how much fun it was and how interesting it was that it got us connected to all these new people that we didn't know and you know, it was really fun and how podcasts had kind of made this resurgence. Like they were really big a few years ago and then they kind of lulled and then they came back. Yep. And I think they're here to stay. I agree. And there was this little old lady. She was at least in her late seventies. Okay. She's a volunteer mm -hmm. helping out. And I was in the bathroom afterwards. Okay. Washing my hands. And she comes up and she like looks both ways like making sure there's nobody there. And she says, your workshop was really great, but I have a question. I was too embarrassed to ask it in front of everybody else. Yes. And I said, sure, I'm happy, you know, to I'll answer any question. And she says, where do you buy podcasts? Because oh. I don't, I don't, I don't know. And everybody else seems to know. And I don't even have a CD player. Oh. <laughs> I said, do you have a smartphone? Oh, yes. My grandson gave it to me. It, it's awesome. Okay. So right there in the bathroom, we walked through how to download Stitcher. Yep. And I found our podcast. Yes. And I said, you've just subscribed to my podcast. And she was so happy. So happy. <laughs> She's like, free? What are you talking? They're all of them? I said, yeah. Yep. We just give them away. She just... No. Yep. Yeah. She's like, this isn't some trick you've put on my phone to make them free for me. No, they're free for everybody. She, it was like Christmas. I, you know, I've talked to a few of our listeners and we have introduced podcasting to quite a few people. I think so too. People who maybe weren't motivated to know much about podcasts until they heard about ours and they thought, oh, that's something I actually am interested in. So it's worth me learning more about how they work. I had a, a listener who was like, I'm sorry, I listened to your podcast on YouTube. I'm like, you listen to our podcast. I don't care how you listen to if it. If you like it, I don't if care you how you listen smoke to signals it. or anything. Thank you. This little lady, her name was Martha and she, I just wanted to pinch her cheek. She was the cutest thing ever. 
And now I just have this image of her sitting around, like, listening to every true crime, like, bloody podcast, like, last podcast (laughs) on the left and making a murder and serial and... She's just like giggling to herself. <laughs> well, what's her name again? Martha. Martha, if you're listening, thank you very much. This one's for you, Martha. Yes. <laughs> so this episode, uh, season six, episode three, w- painted in blood. Mm, was... Blood would be better than the paints that they use, or at wow. least the results they get. Okay, so <laughs> a quick story, okay? I love comic books. I've always loved comic books. 2005, I'm like, this is it. I'm going to learn how to draw, right? I got all the books. I got all the pads. I got the pencils, the erasers. I worked hard for three months. Every day after school and work, I worked really hard. You followed every little step-by-step tutorial on how to become a better artist. And then Sarah said, I said, I don't know how to draw something. And Sarah said... Let me show you. And she drew something better than I could even draw after practicing every day for three months. <laughs> and you and quit. So I was like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> and you've never drawn anything since. Not a thing since. <laughs> I feel so bad about that. <laughs> but I'm a better artist than these people. You are. You definitely are. <laughs> so this is Painted in Blood. Yep. Uh, Which aired when? (laughs) Filmed in July and August of 2002 and broadcast date 17 January 2003. These episodes are as old as our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. With 9.45 million viewers directed by Sarah Hennings. Hellings. And oh boy, I'm going to talk about her and her directing in this episode in particular. And Andrew Payne. She basically directed like almost a dozen Midsummer. Yeah. This is, there's some cinematic moments in this that are really interesting. Especially this one. They stand out. Yeah. If you watch Midsummer as closely as we do. Now I want to ask the listeners a question right up on the top. Okay. Before we dive in and we maybe uh, change your memory about this episode. When I realized this is the next one. Yes. And we I, both did this. I confirmed with you. Oh, this is the one where Joyce is in the watercolor class, right? Yes. And you said, yes. And I said, wait a minute. That's the first Scott episode. And I thought before I watched this episode that this was the first Scott episode. It couldn't I be. I knew it wasn't. Because it's I was in like, season six. Isn't this a Scott episode? But I distinctly remember him being late to the crime scene and coming up into Ruth's room her rented room and meeting barnaby there and him criticizing his clothes or his being late or something like that we were sure it was this episode absolutely sure i thought this can't be the right the episode I i'm said, thinking of because no, that's a scott episode it's not a scott episode and you were like yes it is and i was like i went through this in my brain Already. Is this a Berenstein Bears situation? No, because the episode in which he's in the apartment is Orcus Fatalis. Is the room very similar? Yes, I think it probably is. It's an old lady who has a room and they break into the safe, remember? Yeah. Man, I would have bet good money if you if you hadn't told me what season it was and you just said the one where Joyce has the watercolor class. Which sergeant is in it? I would have said, Scott, 50 bucks, Scott. Absolutely. I would have agreed before I started watching it. 
Maybe it's just us. I don't know. Oh, but there's other awesome things in this episode. Absolutely. Linda Tyrell's awesomely bad clothes. Okay. Wow, pleather wow. pants with a belt. There are some spectacularly bad outfits. I've never seen pleather pants that look like they've been ironed. And she, <laughs> the, the thing is, she pulls them off. It, it suits her character. In the, in the sense that it suits her character perfectly. Yeah. But oh, she's like a diamond geezer's wife, you know? Totally. I get so obsessed with strange things. I spend the whole first outfit, the red... Uh, mini skirt. Mini the one skirt, she's in when she gets knocked down. Uh, that has like velvet printing on it. And then the coat. Jacket. Mm-hmm. Yes. I spent the entire time looking at her going, do you have a top on? You and wanted I'm, to know if she had something underneath the jacket? I don't think she does. I don't think she does she, either. She bends down at one point and the jacket rides up and yeah. there's bare skin there yeah that is not work wear that's not how you wear a jacket like that <laughs> you at least wear like a camisole underneath it or something 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 but you know that's linda for you she's trashy boy is she trashy but she does a great job of introducing all the characters by looking at them <laughs> yes yeah, she does binocular view we have mike weatherby the handyman yeah who is the slowest window trim painter in the universe yes we have Ann Carter. Mm-hmm. That's Who's in the watercolor one. class. Yep. And, and her husband is Tony Carter. Tony Carter. We have Jeffrey Teal, who's leading the watercolor. Mi- no, that's Barrett. Oh, that's right. Who's Jeffrey Teal? That's Major Teal. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes. And then we have Ruth Fairfax, who's also in the watercolor class. And she is uh, heck on wheels. And don't forget... Tessa Hawksley, the oversharer. Oh, Tessa. I know I've just met you, but gosh, my husband is an alcoholic, and we don't have sex anymore. Let me tell you how he's depressed. My name's Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a minute. You just overshared all that stuff, and we haven't even exchanged names yet? Jeez, woman. So she's looking over the green at Tony's house to see if the curtains are closed. How... Uh... I know they're looking for money, and they, they've got a bigger thing, but they definitely have a fling going on. Does she just stand on that hill watching his window all the time in the chance that he might close the curtains, which means he's coming over? Maybe at appointed times, I guess. How desperate do you have to be? And she doesn't need him at all. No, she doesn't. She's got the strong room receipt. <laughs> I don't, she can get the stuff and leave. I have no idea why Tony is involved in her life. He is not nice to her. Nope. Her husband's in prison. Yep. And she has the strong room receipt. And she's his wife, so she could, I'm sure, claim it. Yep. She doesn't need Tony. Five million in cash. Goodbye. It's a much shorter episode, though, if Linda just shows up, pecks all the money in a great big duffel bag and a trash bag and leaves. The end. Yes. With poor, what's his name, looking at her like... Major Teal? No, the oh, guy in the no. bank. Oh. <laughs> Colin. Do you want a drink? Hey. <laughs> so she's meeting Tony up there, and they're taking the world's worst passport pictures. In the shade, under a tree, in front of a piece of poster board. It's just, it's horrible. On a Polaroid. Yes. Now, if you cut a Polaroid, doesn't it change the way it looks? Like, isn't there some kind of layery kind ofness to the image? <laughs> it is not going to be the same. You can't use Polaroid pictures. For passports. Yeah, because it's got kind of that film layer to it and stuff. Yeah, you need a print. Nobody's going to... 
I mean, I guess if they're going to cut it out and tape it, glue it to a passport to make a fake passport, maybe they think nobody's going to notice. I'm sorry. (laughs) But his big old head's too big to fit in the square of the passport. I'm sorry. In the black market world of fake passports, if I'm going to get one, I want them to have a shop and like a picture thing and like I (laughs) want it to be serious business. You don't want Linda to just lick the back of a photo and stick it on and hope that it works. (laughs) Come on, it's Linda. She can do whatever she wants. Some yobs go by on a bike, and we know something is up. But uh, Tony checks to see if she has said strong room receipt, and I am off. You took a close look at it, huh? Because the strong room receipt is close up. So it is for Shires Bank PLC. It is for George Tyrell, and his address is 74 Salters Close, Edge End, Midsummer. H-E-9-9-F-D. Now, in a constant attempt to find out where Midsummer actually is. (laughs) Oxfordshire. Yes, exactly. I looked up the H-E postal code because in Britain, the the first two letters of your postal code are a location. Right. There is no H-E in England. There's Harrow, Huddersfield, Harrogate... Hemel, Hampstead, Hereford, Hebrides, Hull, and Halifax, but no H-E. Well, that makes sense. It's like a 555 number in it. And it should actually be M-I for Midsummer, but I'm just going to be picky. Maybe that's already taken by Middlesex or something. There are some numbers. One item to be stored in a strong room. That's what's written written in the description. Waiting collection. And then the worst signatures I've ever seen. They're like doctor signatures. Yeah. Of what? Of Colin and George? Who signed Who knows? It? Oh. Who knows? You don't know who signatures are supposed <laughs> no, to be? <laughs> there are some lines on the signature line. Oh. <laughs> well, easy to fake then. Are strong rooms a thing? I guess. So I looked it up, and it, as far as I can tell, it's like a safety deposit box that's in a room. I understand that, but I don't. Are they actually a thing? I don't know. Like, can you keep something at a bank that is bigger than what can fit in the biggest strong box Certainly, they have? I don't think our bank, but... I mean, I'm sure, like, Christie's has a room similar to that I for items so. that they're auctioning yeah. that are really Somebody valuable. Has. But I didn't think banks did. I didn't think banks. Especially a little middle-of-nowhere bank. But this bank is failure for so many reasons. Yeah. Why does she have 18 cups for the tea when there's only three of them? <laughs> How did they get that linen press down that little stairway anyway? How did they get it around that corner and through that door? How did they get it in the building? (laughs) (laughs) And in all the rigmarole it would have taken for them to get it down there, how did that money stay perfectly on those shelves? I do not. It would have been all tossed around. Speaking of all tossed around, Tony kisses her. And I have, oh no, porno kissing in my mouth. Ugh. It's like there's tongue and lips and, ugh, oh, it's just bad. Well, and that's right after he's, like, tried to twist her arm and ugh. got real nasty with her. And she's clearly a woman who cannot choose men. Yes. Because so, her husband's in prison. Tony is off and the obs return. Yep. But who else is there? No, oh, it's Major Teal. Major Teal. <laughs> he's awesome. Major Teal is played by Leslie Phillips. He's the voice of the sorting hat in the Harry Potter movies. Oh, that's nice. I mean, he's done a gazillion and a half things, of course. He uh, was in World War II. Yep. And he was discharged for shell shock. Oh. And then 
started acting. He's 96. Yeah. And still alive and kicking. Well, you sent me an article about him that is so sad. It's changed my entire opinion of him in this episode. Yeah. He's been married three times. His most recent marriage was when he was 89. Yes. He seems very happy. But his first wife was an alcoholic. Yes. Um, And his second wife had cancer and depression and committed suicide. Yes. So I, I don't want to bring us down or anything, but... He he has seen tragedy. Yeah, but he's also done a gazillion awesome things. He's been in all kinds of funny movies and funny shows and has done lots of stage work, and he's a gem. And yep. he's great in this, too. And he's lascivious and classy at the same time. <laughs> and speaking, speaking of people that are, do great things, it's uh, we're recording this on the day that Terry Jones died. Any of the Pythons would have been awesome on this show. Terry Jones was on my list. John Cleese was on my list. But between the two of them, really, to play some kind of um, cameo in Midsummer, I would have gone with Terry Jones any day. It's a fantastic actor and a fantastic director. He directed a lot of the Python stuff. Yeah. He also did this awesome documentary where he did a walking tour across Britain using old maps. Yes. Like pre-Victorian maps, and it's fantastic. He also did one. The first one that I saw that he did was he walked the Crusades. Yeah. Like he walked from England to the Holy Land. Super knowledgeable as a historian. Absolutely fantastic. We'll miss him. But Leslie Phillips, still alive and kicking. Yes. And he... And flirting with the ladies. Sees the Yob steal her purse... And tries to help her and maybe grab a little bit. <laughs> Let me give you a hand, my lady. <laughs> On your butt. On your butt. Her um, ankles is what he really yes, likes. he does like her ankles. <laughs> and she pushes him off and almost runs him over. And he's still magnificent. Joyce can't find her brushes. Yeah. And you know something bad's going to happen because Joyce has got a new hobby. Yep. So somebody's going to die. I love when she's got her tote bag with her brushes in it. And he's and Tom's like, they're right there. And she's like spinning around. And of course, they're behind her in her bag. Yeah, it's cute. She's like chasing her tail. Yep. He's reading the paper and I'm desperately trying to see what he's reading. You're trying to read the paper. <laughs> we don't get a good scene. And he calls uh, Midsummer Flory. Is that what it is? Yeah. A haven of tranquility. This well, is, I'm going to say it is because we only get one bloody murder in this whole episode. Yeah, really. This is, uh, and we've talked about this, as close to a procedural as Midsummer gets. And it's also as close to sort of inner force politics that we get. I mean, yep. a lot of police shows, you've got detectives who are constantly in conflict with their bosses or you've got constables who are, you know, deceptive or layabouts or whatever. And you just yeah, don't get that in Midsummer. There's always that internal politics. You don't get it in Midsummer, but we get a call from the chief constable. Yeah, but th- that's one of the things I've always loved about Midsummer is that you never get the sense that there are forces within the police force that are working against them. Until this episode. Until this episode. But it's not for the usual politics no, no. reasons, no, no. right? These are bad dudes. They're bad cops. But I, but I like that we get that little view of how Tom would respond to those kinds of politics. Well, and I also like how Troy relates to it honestly at first, that he's excited to be part of their team from the Met, basically. But then he's like, now, wait a minute. Y'all are idiots. Yeah. 
And Tom's happy for him. I mean, he's he disappointed that he's off the case. And he certainly doesn't like the sort of underhanded, you know, behind the scenes way that the case has been taken away from him. But he's genuinely happy for Troy to have this opportunity. I agree. Right? That shows a little bit about their relationship. So Joyce is in the painting class. Major Teal comes to the cop shop to report the the crime that he's witnessed, even though Linda hasn't come in to report it. And so the the watercolor class is um, the Coston Watercolor Society. Alan Pinkney, Ann Carter, Mister and Missus Bainbridge. They don't get a first name. We're working in gouache. Gouache. If you don't know, gouache is a method of painting using opaque pigments ground in water and thickened with a glue like substance. Yes. I didn't know that because I'm not an artist. As now we covered you earlier. know. Tessa Hockley, who shares too much, and Ruth, who is not really Ruth. Ruth so. is not part of the watercolor society. Oh, that's true. She's not part because she's been there for six months. Yeah, she just happens to house. be painting in yeah. Midsummer Flory. How is like? Wow, that's a coinky dink. You know, I don't know. I think if you get into these kind of pastoral, beautiful villages, you probably got artists all over the place. Then how did what's-his-name, who's what's-his-name, know that she was going to be there? Because they put her there. Oh, I guess. Undercover to observe Tony and his curtains. (laughs) That's her whole job. So she pretends to be a painter so she can watch his curtains and work out the pattern. I need that job. (laughs) <laughs> I'd wear the fat suit, too, and the boobs. You'd paint better than her. Well, I certainly would. <laughs> well, when Major Teal comes in to report the bag snatching, that's when we learned about Operation Pond Life. Operation Pond Life. There's a sign in the background that just says murder in giant letters and nothing else, and then some guy's <laughs> face. It's like, He's like most wanted or something. Yeah, something. I did a little bit of research into how operations are named. Okay. And I couldn't find stuff that was specific to the UK, but I found sort of law enforcement in general. Yeah. The policemen or detectives involved in an operation like this never name it. No. The it's op- higher ups, isn't it? No. Oh. The operation is usually named by a clerk. Oh. The person who is going to maintain the file, initiates the file, and they either go alphabetically through a list like the way hurricanes are named. Yes. Or it's utterly at random. Oh. Though they are allowed to reject names that might damage the investigation. Okay. So if they called this like Operation, operation Pond Stash. Pond Scum. Yes. That would be bad. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, or, yeah, bag snatchers or yobs, yeah. yob attackers or something. Um, and the names are seldomly, if ever, even remotely related to the investigation's kind of, you know, key plot. They well, don't. They have a lot of binders with pawn life right they now. They do. <laughs> Poor Troy looks like he's been doing data entry for months and months at this point. Well, Tom can't take the... The colonel's, is the colonel? No. The major. Major. He, he can't take the major's statement because he has a business meeting. Yes, because he has a briefcase with him. Mm. What business <laughs> It's just, Tom. my business is to be somewhere else. Yeah, I think so. It was a car. It was dark, but it wasn't too dark. And I don't know what color it was. And I don't know what make it was. But she had awesome ankles. Poor Colin. They're going to close his bank. He's taken to the drink, and he doesn't have the humpy bumpy anymore. (laughs) And they're going to close the bank, which I understand. It's a small branch in a small village 
And this is actually happening now in a lot of places. Yes. These little branches are closing because people do more and more of their banking online, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's it's very hipstery to convert a business like a bank into a restaurant or a bar. But the fact that they're going to call it the overdraft and yet it's going to be a wine bar does not make sense to me. It should be a beer bar. Exactly. Like a draft. A, like a craft brewery. Yes. Ah, well, it won't succeed. It's the only pleasure left to a man of certain age. The pub in this episode is mysterious to me. Yes. The cock and... Cock and rabbit. Cock and rabbit. I fell down a hole. Okay. About this pub. The cock and rabbit hole? Yes. (laughs) Better than the beaver lips hole. (laughs) Don't Google anything about lips on beavers, okay? Just don't. It'll disturb you. Just go listen to the No Such Thing as a Fish podcast and learn all about them. Anyway, you distracted me. Yes. So I wanted to know where the cock and rabbit was. Like, what's the pub? What's the name of the pub? Because you were talking about aptly named pubs and episodes, and this one clearly isn't. No, it should be called the Painter's Easel or the (laughs) Palette. Something like that. Yes, the Closed Curtain. So... There is an actual pub called the Cock and Rabbit. The Trashy Ankles. <laughs> Pleather Pants. Um, there's an actual pub called the Cock and Rabbit, and it's near Great Mizenden in Buckinghamshire, and it has been used in multiple Midsummer episodes. Now, Great Mizenden is where the bank set is. Right. So they use that whole village for this episode. Yes. Okay. But the Cock and Rabbit has only ever been used as a pub in a midsummer in Saints and Sinners, where they call it the Rose and Chalice. So as near as I can tell, they filmed in the village where the actual Cock and Rabbit pub is, but didn't use it. Okay. But I couldn't figure out what pub they did use. No. And they're only inside the pub. They never like show them going outside the pub. So it's a mystery. What pub are they actually in? I don't know. I don't know. It could be that I just couldn't find any information about it because it's kind of like a no-brainer. Like, obviously, they use the real cock and rabbit to be the cock and rabbit, and that's why I can't find it anywhere. Yes. That would make the most sense, but I could not find confirmation about that. No. So, it's a mystery. Barrett wants everybody to loosen up and touches everybody in ways that is upsetting. Only the women. Yes. And he wears a neckerchief. Yes, he does. Should I use a number two pencil to poke out your eyes? (laughs) What I don't understand is that they're called the Midsummer Watercolor Society, yet clearly it's a class, and they seem to meet every day. Yeah, it's like a summer camp. Yeah, they they go the same place every day and paint. And they refer to the fact that they're in Midsummer Flory in a way that leads you to believe that in prior meetings they have met in other villages to paint. But these are new people to everybody. So do these people not have jobs or lives at all? They just spend every single day painting? Apparently. There's an auction coming up, though. They're still so bad. They're really bad. Garrett Barrett is not... A good teacher. No, he doesn't. The, the one thing he says to do is a good thing, to loosen up on your pencil when you're sketching. Right. That is absolutely good. Lightest possible touch. LPT, right? But that's all he says. <laughs> when he's he's on, just encouraging. He's not whispering nooky, no, nooky nothings in people's ears. No, and we never see him painting. I wonder if he's a good painter. I don't He's got his lips all over Anne at one point. Well, so. but they have history, right? Yes. They know each other already, yes. way before the Watercolor Society. Um, I'd like to talk to the Midsummer people, especially the directors. When we switched to the Barnaby House, we switched days. Yeah. 
And we have no concept at all that that happened. It is clear at this point in the series that they have no concern with continuity about what day it is. In my notes at this point, I'm like, what day is this? Is this the same day as the bag snatch? But they do that common thing where they set some kind of deadline at the end. So there's the, the auction is so many days away. So we know we're at least between now and then. (laughs) Yes. But what day it is in between those things, no clue. No. It's just a big old flow of not so much murder. So after a morning of painting, they're all going to go to the Cock and Rabbit Mm -hmm. at 1240, which I'm like. That's a little late for lunch. It's a little late for lunch. But they probably don't start until 10. (laughs) I guess. Joyce notices some stuff. She notices Ruth's hat and then. Gets nosy about her painting. Yeah. And looks at it like. That's not bad. I'm like, what is wrong with you, woman? She is horrendous. Of course, all Joyce has done to this point is sketch. So what does she know? And she finds Ruth's body. Of course she does. Because it's Joyce. clearly breathing. (laughs) She's the only corpse in this episode, but she's not the best corpse. No. She's a a very bad corpse. (laughs) And if you can breathe through a fat suit... Like, come on. She's got pancake makeup. She's got a wig, fake eyebrows, glasses, all that stuff as an actress to disguise herself. And yet she can't hide her breathing for two seconds. She's clearly breathing. Clearly. So then we have the shot. Yes. So we are returned to the scene of the crime with Sako there. And the director has been watching too many Steven Spielberg movies. Oh, I don't think it's too many. I think it's no, no, great. No, no, the, sorry. It's an awesome shot. It is clearly a reference to Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. It is called a Wonder, and it is a shot that is a long take that the camera moves to different spots, and so that long shots become medium, become close-up, become medium, become long shots again. And it's continuous. There's no edit. Yep. If you're looking for the textbook example of this, it's in Jaws, where the mayor, the chief of police, and the scientist are on the barge. So not only does Spielberg do it in that movie, a winner like that, but he does it on a barge. Yeah. So in this one, we start up in the air, right? A bird's eye view. With an overview kind of of the crime scene. George yes. is down there in his coveralls, and we see... A crowd in the distance behind police tape. And then we do a 180 turn that's a little fast. It's a little fast. I'll give it to him, though. Then on, so the cameraman's on a crane with the Steadicam. Yeah. This is a Steadicam shot. Because this is before drone shots. Yep. So he's on the, he's on a crane with a Steadicam that is then turned around. He does the turn and then is lowered to the ground. Now this crane has an open basket. Mm Mm-hmm. So that he can walk right out of it with the steady cam and not make it like <laughs> And not only does it lower, but it it goes the arm extends forward and down. And skims the ground. It's almost like a sweep. Yeah. And then he seamlessly steps out of the crane and walks towards the police tape so that he's got Joyce and Tom in frame. Then the part that I find most amazing, second only to stepping off the crane without a bump, he must have a Steadicam rig on, which if you've never seen one, just Google it. You, you've seen them before. You just didn't know it. He must use the Steadicam and pivot the camera way to his left, like across his body, because he goes 
over the police tape to film them talking without touching it yep. or without going through it. And it's, nope. it's contiguous yep. there. We've seen it. And then he sweeps it back across the police and tape. And then he goes back behind the ambulance, behind where the undertakers are, back to the scene of the crime. There is like 50 people in this scene. All choreographed to move across the scene, behind the scene, back, over. Without a doubt, the best single shot in Midsummer so far. I would say the the um, the episode with the aliens, mm-hmm. with the crop circles, when they're walking through the wheat. That's a great shot. That's it's a beautiful, beautiful. But it, it's different. Yeah. But if you didn't notice this shot, I strongly encourage you, go back and rewatch just this scene where we have the initial crime scene investigation going on and watch it closely because you don't appreciate it if you don't notice that it's one continuous shot. But when you do notice it, it, it's amazing. We've watched it five or six times. It's just a great piece of work. Whoever shot it, good for you. Yeah. It's a minute and eight seconds long of brilliance. It's incredible. Yeah. Wow, we just totally nerded out there. Yes. We should move on. <laughs> She's a mystery woman. She got stabbed in the back with a pallet knife. I know, with a chisel. With the chisel. That's not going to kill you. I don't... Chisels can be pretty sharp. I know it's going to be pretty sharp, but like, again, the single stab wound always bothers me. Chisels are big. Okay, but then there should be shooting bloods. It also depends what kind of chisel it is. And I'd have to look at it again when they recover it. Yeah. But like I have chisels that are called haftless chisels. They don't actually have a handle. Yeah. And the the handle end, where a handle goes, is actually much sharper than the other end. Oh. So, but I think this one has a handle on yeah. it. But they can be pretty darn sharp. I don't know what Mike Weatherby is using it for, but. I know they can be sharp. But it would I, still take a lot of force. Because didn't yeah. she have like a puffer vest on and a shirt and a the fat, fat suit? suit. Yeah. But if you got it through all that, it would do some van damage. Okay. We go to the Carter's house because Ann and Tony are going to fight. The house is fucked. <laughs> Everybody get out of the house. That house is so weird. It is. But but perfect. Yes. It's perfect. Whoever set dressed it did such an awesome job because it's clearly like we don't, we haven't always had a lot of money. Now we have a little bit of money and we want to show off our money, but we don't really have taste yet. And, and so is, we just have lots of stuff. And Anne is perfect as, because she used to be like Brenda. I'm sure she did. Linda. Linda. Yeah. I'm sure she used to be like Linda. When she was younger. When mm-hmm. she was younger. But now she's more comfortable and she basically got out of the life, which I think she was pleased with. Yeah. When they went into witness protection scheme. Do they call it that in England? Because that makes it sound really skeezy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they are. But the, Anne does a great job of that. Yeah. But <laughs> why in hell would they move him in the witness protection program to a village that is the same village where his co-conspirators hid the money. I know they don't know that's the mo- that the money is there. It makes more sense that they send him up with Perez up in the Shetland Islands. Yeah, they should have moved him real far away. Real yeah. far away. And made them change. All they did was make Tony, like, shave the bad beard uh, off. He didn't even change his first name. No, he's still Tony. <laughs> but, you know, actually, that's kind of common because it helps people acclimate to their new names. Oh, okay. If they go by a version of their, like, maybe he was Anthony before and now he's Tony. I've never been in the witness protection scheme, so I don't know. Well, you know, when I was, it was, you know. 
I, I was have, still Sarah. I have flee the country, but fled. Yeah, it was under different circumstances. But man, their place—they've got like 1920s bronzes yeah. next to like bobblehead dolls it's and china all figurines. So weird. And it's, it's just so like, much stuff. It's, it's just like, lots. It's like trashy Rococo. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. It's like tat Rococo. <laughs> Tony is like super paranoid. He thinks the house is being bugged. So now <laughs> Barnaby and Scott go to the flat. <laughs> it's Troy. It's Troy. Wait a minute. Mrs. Metcalf is the most flat, boring character ever. Oh, I like her. She's nice and everything. She's but proper, but secretly judgy. She's she's quite judgy. I, I wouldn't want to live with her. Ruth no mail, has this room. No pictures. Theatrical makeup. Yeah. And Ruth's room is weird. Like, yes. she has, like, a microwave and a hot plate. It's like a studio, but not a studio. It's a bed set. Yeah. But you usually don't have a bed set when you're renting a bedroom from somebody's cottage. They usually don't want you having cooking appliances no. in your room. No. Ring, ring. The, ring, ring. The thatch roof can go whew, real yes. fast. Ring, ring. Who is it? It's Dr. Bullard. Uh, the, the This is... Weird down here. Can you come and help me? Because <laughs> I don't understand this. <laughs> I got something to show you. <laughs> Tom, it's bring Scott. <laughs> I love how many times they either holler at each other, any of them, holler at each other or call each other and say, I've got something you need to see. That would make me knuckin' futz. Yeah. If you called me and said, Sarah, come right away. I've got something you need to see. I would it's- say, What? And I'd say, she's got a wig on and a fat suit. I'd say, well, I got to come see that. Exactly. (laughs) But I wouldn't say, oh, that's okay. Just don't tell me. Keep it a mystery. Let me stop everything I'm doing. But where would we put the commercials in our everyday life? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) How would we have that suspense? (laughs) Joyce, of course, has found the body. Oh, no. Oh, Tom. And so she needs a ride home. So Mrs. Hawksley. Is she Glenda the Good Yes. Put on your shoes. Um, <laughs> There's no place like home. <laughs> you know, I every time I think of her discovering a body, I just think of her on that stage looking at Tom with that yeah. fear in her face after what's-his-face cuts his own throat. And now she's like, oh, another body. Yeah. <laughs> but Tom should be nervous because the last time somebody drove Joyce home after she saw a dead body... Murderer. It was the killer. Murderer. I would be like, Mrs. Hoxley, we need to talk. Oh, I'll talk. You're clearly By the killer. By the way, my husband's penis is this long. <laughs> but it doesn't work, so it doesn't matter. And his head's shaped like a light bulb. You know he has bowel problems, too. He has his own theme song. <laughs> it sounds like music box music. It That's does. the music that plays every time he drinks the vodka in the bottle. So they go to the morgue. Ruth is all in this fat suit stuff. Troy finds the murder weapon, and they go back to her flat and are basically trying to figure out what's going on. Because the first time you see this episode, you're like, what is going on? Yeah. And then they're going to go look at the body again the next morning after George has done some more investigation because it takes them all night to get the fat suit off. And she's gone. And I'm like, that table has holes in it yeah for drainage scrubbing it yeah i'm like shouldn't you like spray that or something (laughs) my man well i think he's kind of drying it really Uh, it's been sprayed off the body's gone and it it's been released to dc nolan and dc barkley or should we call him 
DC scumbag junior. Mark Gudgeon. Mark Gudgeon is their DC. Mm-hmm. DCI. Linda finally reports to Barnaby about her bag. And yep. man, he reads her right away. Yeah. She thinks she's so clever. And he smells a rat. Seen a doctor? Immediately. He's oh, like, yeah. Hmm. Pond scum. Hmm. Mm. There's a little alarm going off. And then she gets snippy with him. Okay. That's not the way to, to turn him around to your side of no. the story. No. The nastier you get, the more suspicious he is. I love when he has the the strong room receipt in his hand in the little plastic sleeve and she goes to grab it and he just pulls it away and yep. sets it down. <laughs> like, no, no, you're not going to have that. <laughs> So then we have this weird scene. Barnaby goes to look and finds the medicine for Angela Browning. She was on antibiotics. Ruth's real name. Yeah. Right? And then Tony and I can't remember her name. Tony and Linda are skulking around in the woods because Barnaby goes up there and finds the Polaroid box. If you're going to skulk in the woods, don't wear bright outfits. Or pants that probably go. They make the snowsuit sound for sure. And Tony contemplates hitting Tom with a log. A conveniently placed log. But like how to get yourself in even more trouble. Well, and then they're like, shh, don't let Barnaby hear us. Yeah. I'm like, he's five feet away. And it's clearly on to you anyway. I was expecting the poacher from the last episode to be hanging out in the bush, too. (laughs) And Tom and Joyce have dinner where Joyce, because Tom's like, I know I'm not on the case anymore and I'm not supposed to talk about it, but tell me everything you heard today when those creeps were interviewing you. Yeah, he doesn't really do. And she's like, I hope you're not going to get all messed up in this, but I'll tell you everything. Yeah, but they have dinner by candlelight. They do. And that's a common theme we've seen. What do you think of that? I think when Cully, wait a minute, Cully's not in this episode. No, they don't have a kid. Nor the bookmobile. <laughs> Suspicious. Yes. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in Midsummer, people are run over by a bookmobile. Uh, I think it's nice, but it's also dangerous. I, I'd find it like, I don't like to eat in the dark. That's weird. I didn't think your response would be, it could be dangerous. It just seems impractical and kind of a lot of trouble, but also really sweet. Yes, I would agree with that. That dinner is like an event for them, even though he usually runs off in the middle of it. No, I have an idea. She still makes an effort. She does. Well, you know, she has recipes posted on the cupboards. Yeah. So the second time we see that kitchen is when Tom is there and Troy is there. And, okay, so there are recipe cards taped to the cabinets, I guess just to taunt Joyce with all the things that she can't make. (laughs) Tom has evidence in the kitchen. Just hanging out. Just keeping him at home, whatever. But there's a bulletin board on the back wall. Yeah. Plastered with takeout menus. I mean, they're like hanging (laughs) off of every side, dangling by one pin. Oh, just pick something up on the way home. Taped to each other. I mean, they are everywhere. I I don't mind going out, Joyce. I'll get it. I'll get something. I'll just pick it up for us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Barnaby uses a computer. He does. He types with more than two fingers, too. He looks up Angela Mary Browning. And of course, I read everything. On these screens, and it is full of fantastic stuff. Tell us about Angela. So Angela was born 9371 in London. She's a detective constable. She entered the Met 3995 via Hendon. That's the police college. Then she uh, 
previous to the, that, she finished high school, went abroad, worked in a travel agency named Trailblazers International. I told you this was dead. <laughs> <laughs> but she was part of the Heathrow uh, bullion robbery where she arrested Keith Tyrell. So she arrested uh-huh. Linda's husband, now is working in NIS under Mark Gudgeon. She was also part of something called Operation White Knight, which led to the arrest of Sir Nigel Winslow. But it's Sir in quotation marks because they were a group of gentlemen robbers. Oh, nice. Oh, but wait, it goes on. (laughs) She was also part of something where she arrested serial rapist Roger Manless, the Terror of Tun Hill. Hmm. All of this, all of this is on a Hansel monitor. Now, then I went off and tried <laughs> to find Hansel monitors. Hansel is a South Korean monitor manufacturer whose website has not been updated from 2012. So I'm not sure if they're a real company anymore because their entire website is in South Korean and when I it came up and said, would you like to translate this website? And I said, yes. And it did nothing. <laughs> you don't get a translation. It's interesting that they give a bit more information about the original heist, where this money came from, because that is a direct reference to the Brinks Matt uh, Heathrow heist, yeah. which we've talked about yes. before on the podcast, Yes, um, where everybody was arrested afterwards, except... There was this creepy curse on everybody involved, so they they were all, like, killed or murdered or died mysteriously, even the police that were involved in it. So Barnaby looks up Tony after the Midsummer Constabulary with the badger screen is I shown. I love their the, badger. Their little badger screen that we haven't seen since the very first episode. Mm-hmm. And Tony, when as Tony Mathis... And then he went state's evidence, and there's still $5 million missing. Right. They didn't recover all of it. Now, I have a question. It is entitled the Heathrow Bullion Robbery. Yeah. And there's $15 million in cash mm-hmm. and $5 million missing. Mm-hmm. What bullion? Gold. I, I know, but where's the bullion? They, the, in the Brinks-Matt heist, they intended to steal bullion and instead of stole cash. Oh, because okay. it wasn't what they thought it was, and that's kind of where it started to go wrong. Okay, I can see that. So if they're I remember if they're us talking kind about of faking that. a reference to that, then yeah. then they're just following that pattern, and they didn't recover all of the money. So, but I can't believe that Tony, in his yobhead brain, would ever be smart enough to pull off something like that. So yeah, but you know, he was low on the totem pole at Clearly, the time and turned on him. Linda's husband was the smart guy here. Yeah, though his picture is not the best. <laughs> Well, mugshots seldom are. Speaking of ugly people, let's go to the hospital. (laughs) Jason. Who is one of the obs who stole the car, who cracks under pressure in two seconds. Oh, it's not even pressure. Yes. Well, I think he's... like, oh, you hit her. No, it was Richie. I I think he's got a little sugar high from all the Starburst, Twix, Smarties, and surfing mags that he's been reading and eating. (laughs) Surfing magazines? Surfing magazines. Because, you know, Oxfordshire is the place for surfing. And then he's listening on his Alba disc player, and he's listening to some tunes. He's jamming. And Tom just yanks it out. Gets all the information from him. (laughs) Barnaby's got this whole thing figured out. But Troy has been working with the other detectives. Mm-hmm. And at first, Troy's pretty happy about this. And, and like you said, Barnaby gives him some credit. 
But Troy pretty quickly figures out they're idiots. When one of them runs Troy out of the interview room with Mike Weatherby, I want to hit him on Troy's behalf. Like, how dare you talk to him like that? They call him a flat-footed country copper. And then when they're sitting in Barnaby's chair? Oh. How dare you sit in Tom's chair? You, you know what they you are. You don't deserve to sit in that chair. They're scumbags. <laughs> scumbag scum. <laughs> And Tom and Troy are back working together again on the Logan. Yes, so Troy goes to see Barnaby at night, and they figure out that maybe the killer is actually Pinkley. Yeah, we know it's Pinkney. We know it's at least not Mike Weatherby, because he's the one person with an alibi because of Joyce's drawing that's been stolen. Why would anyone steal that drawing? Because it's evidence. (laughs) Still, (laughs) I thought maybe there would be like this... Bad eraser mark. (laughs) If there was gouache on it, we would know who the killer was. (laughs) This this opaque pigment ground from from dust and mixed with glue has been covering my clock now. Now at this point in the episode, I the first time I rewatched it this week, I knew that the cops were bad. I didn't know who the main cop was. Oh, you forgot who Gudgeon was? I forgot who Gudgeon was. And I somehow thought it was the couple who were the killer. <laughs> the gouache and, couple? And I was like, how could they be the people who are the killers? Well, you know, gouache goes to your head. I guess. And some some kind some people call like street drugs gouache. Yo, hey, you want some gouache? I got some gouache. So you want to Troy, sniff some gouache? Troy and Barnaby need evidence to prove it's Pinkney. Pinkley. Yeah. Because the paintbrush, right? They find a paintbrush underneath Ruth's body, and it's not, it doesn't look like hers. And they're like, huh. But they need that paintbrush. They need so to. So where do they go? <laughs> oh, they go to the evidence room. Oh, Yay! Oh my. <laughs> In the evidence room, we have a motorcycle helmet, mm-hmm. a bow and arrow, shovels. Shovels. Several shovels. And a stuffed cat. Yes! Now, we have a very special segment on (laughs) Midsummer Maniacs for you. We have come up with dueling episodes for why the cat is in evidence. Right, because as soon as you see it, you think, what's that evidence for? And it's right near the paintbrushes. Well, and at head height, looking at you with its big glass eyes. Okay, what is the case where that cat was important? So that's the p- question that Sarah posed to me. And we had to come up with imaginary midsummer episodes where the cat, the stuffed cat, was a piece of evidence. And you listeners get to listen to our two contenders for episodes that include the stuffed cat and choose the one that you like best and or submit your own. Yes. And I will let you go first. Oh, I get to go first? Yes. Okay, so I've written mine as if it was... A description, like a uh, for the episode, like a teaser. Yes. Okay. It's called "Meows and Murder." <laughs> oh. A writer of beloved children's books featuring Kumquat, a cantankerous cat, now suffers from dementia and is reliant on caretakers around the clock. When several vicious murders take place right outside her cottage window. The old writer is the only witness. That is, until Barnaby and Troy start receiving curious notes laced with clues and signed CQ with a cat's paw. (laughs) Is the old lady sending them, or is Kumquat speaking from beyond his now taxidermied grave or mantelpiece? Hmm. 
That's very interesting. Meows and murder. Are you going to let us know who the real murderer is? Well, the story is that there's actually a nanny cam inside the taxidermied cat. I thought about that. And And she knows that, but she can't quite say it. Yeah. So she writes these little meow meow letters because she can think as kumquat now, but okay. not quite as herself, and gives them the information, and then they recover the Do video. Any stars that you would see? I didn't get that far. Okay. I, I was so excited by naming the cat kumquat because he was almost marmalade, and I thought that's too easy. It's quite a name. Yeah. I was going to sign the letters come for short, but that wasn't right. No. So he's CQ instead. No. <laughs> The cantankerous cat. So what's yours? A contestant in a national baking television show in Midsummer Coxet is murdered just before she is set to compete in the camp championship. Ooh. She's found with a single gunshot wound to her forehead with no weapons seen anywhere. What's the name of the episode? A Slice of Murder. So where does the cat come in? So what happens is... Cully is in this episode. She works as a PA for one of the hosts, because she's trying to get on the show, of course, who's actually having an affair with one of the contestants, but that's a red herring. And (laughs) also, the contestants all look happy on screen, but actually hate each other. Uh, But the murderer is one of the judges who had his cat originally stolen by by the lady and killed... The cat was stolen. The woman accidentally killed it, and she stuffed it and kept it in her house. And he finds out? He finds out and replaces it with a gun-shooting robot inside of the cat. <laughs> Man, you kept you kept that for the very end. Yep. That it's a robo-cat. It is a robo-cat. <laughs> I thought my nanny cam cat was pretty good. In, in addition, she kills two other contestants during the weekend in baking-related murders to throw Barnaby and Troy off the scent. Nice. So I love the idea that there were, like, blatant, vicious, bloody murders happening right in front of someone. Because that's so midsummer. But they knew she couldn't tell anybody who did it because she can barely speak and has dementia. And just says, like, meow, meow, because she's so into her cat. And so they just like stab people right in front of her. See, I think I think it would be great. This my story would be great because ITV could do a total parody job on Great British Bake Off and not be it exactly. Yeah. And and be able to make fun of the BBC show. The only thing better than doing a parody Midsummer of the British Bake Off would be a parody Midsummer of Time Team. Yes. I, we, well, we've thought several times that Time Team should have a crossover with Midsummer. Yep. Oh, boy. So, which is better, Murder by the Slice or Meows and Murder? Let us know. And if you have an idea why the cat is in the evidence room, let us know. I'm so excited about that. that I was, was thinking so about that fun. all week. Yep. So now we have arrived at the climax. And this is a multi-part climax to this episode. Mm-hmm. First of all... Tony's going to rob the bank because he's tired of waiting because he's on edge. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) He's so stressed out because he can't get the strong room receipt. So because Barnaby has a strong room receipt, they'll never suspect that it's us bringing it into the bank. Except I'll do it with no mask on. In broad daylight. In broad daylight. Well, it doesn't matter because Colin's found the money already. He's stuffing it in his shirt. (laughs) And then the, the old lady's like, Inspector Barnaby's here. And he's like, I'm just going to put this 
back. Poor guy. He looks so sad yeah. when he's putting it back. So Colin's like, oh, there's money in there? Wow. I never would have guessed. Tony breaks in. The multitude of teacups get spilt. Yes. And he's got a gun, a handgun. Yes. He's putting that he's dug up from a hole. And he's putting in people's faces. He has one bag, so you're like... Wait a minute. Well, that money's not going to fit in that bag. But he's got bin liners. So. Yeah, because so he thinks he's going to leave there carrying a whole bunch of bin bags full of money. Yes. And he tells Barnaby to help out. Yeah. Or he's going to kill him. Now. And then <laughs> and then the bank clerk just quietly locks the door behind them. Yes. <laughs> so when they have locations in which I can find where the location is, the CD store, the art shop. I try to find them based on what is seen. Okay. You want to know what storefront was used as that storefront. And through this whole episode, I've been trying to find what the bank is. The Shires Bank. Shires Bank. And I I tried really hard. And I'm sorry. I didn't want to look it up. I wanted to find from the episode the clues. Oh, you didn't want to look it up. Okay, go ahead. No, I didn't want to look it up. I wanted to find, I had the thrill of finding it. Okay. Because when I found it, I was like, yes! <laughs> so I find the location of the, of the shop across the street, mm-hmm. and I turn the Google Maps around. Yeah. And written on the side of the building where it used to say Shire's Bank is the word Swigfigly. Yeah, it's just and, the Swig Figly. And I'm like, what? What the <laughs> f is this place? It's the Swig Figly. You don't know about the Swig Figly? So I type Swig Figly into my search engine, and it ends up that 8183 High Street in Great Mezenden, HP 1600AL, is. The Roll Doll Museum and Story Center, and I want to go. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. There's a Roll Doll Center? I want to go. But for three days, you've been saying, oh, you just wait till we record because boy, do I have stuff about the location of the bank. Who dog? I did a bunch of research and man, I've got some good stuff. I was pleased with myself that I found it. You called me today. And before we got off the phone, I said, Mark, I've got three words. And you were like, what? And I said, Roll Doll Museum. And you were like, no! Yeah, I found it real quick. I didn't even even intend to find out what it was. For those of you who don't know who Roll Doll is, first of all, shame on you. Get out from under your rock. He lived in Gypsy House, Great Marsden, for 36 years, right up until his death in 1990. And that's the place where he had the little shack out back where he wrote. Mm-hmm. He wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I, I watched videos that were of kids playing in this. I want to go. We're going. So the interior shots of, are not of that building. No. And they only used half of the museum front as the bank. Yes. Next time we're in England, we're going to this building. Yeah. By the way, if you want to invite us to England, we'll come. <laughs> Troy comes along, sees the the dropped tea tray. Figures out what's going on. And hits the fire alarm. And now he's action Troy. And Tony has forgotten what things are. What is that? (laughs) It's an alarm, dude. (laughs) Have you ever seen a fire alarm that has a reset button in the middle of it? No, certainly don't have them at school. It's convenient. Yes, it is. For this. Like, oops, sorry, no, it's not on fire, right? Troy throws 
a fire extinguisher at him, and there is a gunshot. Yeah. It's and then exciting. they're wrestling with a gun, yes. and it's almost aimed at Troy's head at one point. It is, but they subdue him. They do. Get the bank back in order. We got more stuff to do. There's more bad guys coming. Get ready for the second wave of bad guys. By the way, the major is fatally drawn to the dark side of ankles. <laughs> Did you make him German there for a second? The dark side of ankles. Of ankles. Oh, Linda, I love your <laughs> ankles. They are so fabulous. And there's this whole bunch of other stuff that just red herrings all over the It's board. just a very busy little street for a little while. It's very busy. Anne pulls up and doesn't quite close the door of her car, though I don't know why. And then Teal is like, why don't we both go touch ankles? We could have a threesome in the cock and rabbit. <laughs> now that he is major Teal. And then there's this, this shot of Joyce painting. Do-do-do. <laughs> Meanwhile, Joyce concocts another murder. And then there's a cat fight. Linda's like sinking yes. in her car and Anne's like, get out of here. I'm going to knock on your window again. Knock, 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 knock. Get out of here. I would have just grabbed the convertible top and yanked it back. Yeah. So the DCs arrive. They have two bags. Mm, they're really ready. They got two gym bags. Two gym bags. And they're like, five mil. This is awesome. And then Barnaby and Troy are like, thank God you're here. I love it. I love that Tom and Troy, after being sort of separated for part of the episode, now are in cahoots against the bad cops. It's yep. like, yay, it's a good feeling. Yeah. So they find out, they're like, well, we're not used to dealing with this much money. So we're going to have to get you, have you sign off. We're sure glad you're here to help because yep. this is above us country cops. Yes. And then Colin just locks them in. Yep. <laughs> do, 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 do. And we Lock find out that Pinkney is... Gudgeon. Gudgeon. The actor does a great job because he goes from being this kind of, is this pencil right kind of guy to being an authoritative DCI. And he's like, oh, shut up, Barnaby. You don't know what you're talking about. And Barnaby's like, uh, no. Yes, I do. You're like, um, the murderer. Yeah. And I, I like that his sergeants turn on him when they find out that he killed Angela. Like, that's a step too far for them. I don't believe that. I believe they're looking for a way out. And the way out is, oh, you said there would be no violence. Either way, it's clever writing because yeah. it makes them a bit more interesting Yes. than just, you know, a couple of thugs. So everybody's taken away. The money is taken away. And poor Colin is left in the basement. Yeah. And Barrett comes along because he's looking for Anne, who he loves. Yes. Why does he end up in the basement of the bank looking for Anne? Because she said she was going to go to the bank. He's chased her all the way there on foot. I guess. And then he notices the linen press that has held all the money. The Wilkinson linen press. He says it was made by Joseph Wilkinson. Yes. Is that a real person? Remember the cock and rabbit? Yeah. Okay. That's a bunch of cock, and I fell down the rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> Looking for Joseph Wilkinson. Okay. Because I wanted to know, because after this, Tessa's like, I got brand new clothes. And Colin's like, I quit drinking. I'm like, how much money did they get out of selling that linen press? A small fortune. Must have been a lot. It's really Joshua Wilkinson. Okay. He was born in 1725 and died in 1790. Okay. And he was the first of a long line of Wilkinsons who are world-renowned furniture makers, but these are Victorian furniture makers. Okay. He was an upholder, furniture maker, house broker, and undertaker. Oh, what's an upholder? 
I'm glad you asked. It took me a while to find that. <laughs> I had to find the most... Longer worship- than me finding the Roald Dahl Museum? I had to find the website of the most worshipful brotherhood of upholders Oh, to find out what it is. Excellent. I'll put that in show notes. The simplest version is upholsterer. Okay. But really, it means decorator. Like, okay. so, so an upholder was like somebody an interior who, decorator? Yeah, like an upholder was somebody who was tasked with decorating an entire room. Okay. Right? But they were known for not just, like, purchasing things, but they would make the things, too. Oh, okay. And it's interesting that his family is also known as undertakers, because at this point, if you made the caskets, you ran the funeral. Oh, okay. And they were furniture makers, so they made caskets, they made too. They caskets, too. And they bought and sold real estate. I could find a couple of listings of Wilkinson linen presses from this era, from the original era of Joshua Wilkinson. So these would have been made in like the 1750s or 60s. Okay. The most expensive one I could find was from a Christie's listing that was less than two years old, and it only went for 15K. That's not a lot of money. And I Compared found, to the five million they had in their hands. Yeah. And I found others that were as low as 5K. And they looked identical to that linen press like same like kind of curved to the shelves and same set of shelves with drawers on the bottom i mean they they were just as big as that they were these are very big pieces of furniture because they held all the linen for the house so this would have been tablecloths bed linens curtains i mean you name it and so they had great big drawers because they held very big pieces of fabric 15k not enough to set up tessa and colin Sunning, sunning ankles in foreign climes. No, no. So then there's the auction that is clearly glued on the end. It's cute. It is because Joyce's painting comes up and no one's bidding on it. It's sad. And then Major Teal bids. Well, no, Barnaby well, Tom bids, bids first. 50, bucks, 50 pounds first. But then Teal, in his clever little way, bids 100 pounds. Which means Tom has to bid more than yeah. that. <laughs> the episode ends with Tom bidding 150. I thought he that loves was cute. His wife. Well, I yeah. thought Major Teal was clever. Yeah, right. I do too. So best corpse, nah, none. Yeah, there's only one, and she's not very good. The Wilkinson cu- cupboard thing. The linen press is yeah. the best corpse. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, after the credits, a lot of people go to jail. A lot of people go to jail. Linda and Ann are one of them. I don't know. I think Linda's probably got some charges pending. Tony and all the boys go to jail. Yes. The two, the three cops and Tony definitely go to jail. Barrett's skin of his teeth isn't associated with any of it. No. I and think I Anne think, probably gets away just fine. I think it's that Barrett gets some money from the sale of that Wilkinson, too. Yeah. I, I would think that Colin would give him a little cut. Yeah. Right? I think Anne and, and Barrett probably end up together. They seem yeah. pretty happy together. They do. And the end. Yep. Tessa and Colin are happy. I guess. <laughs> she has a new outfit on. And some eyeshadow. Yes. The end. Well, that was quite the episode. Come quad the cat. Come quad the cat. It is a kind of different episode, you know, where we don't have this crazy, spectacular stuff. But all that's about to change because uh, episode 27, which is season six, episode four, is Tale of Two Hamlets, in which we have the House of Satan. Yes. <laughs> and somebody gets blown up real good right at the beginning. And Joyce is there for it again. Yep. As a hag. <laughs> and at this point, you can't shake off the suspicion that Maybe Joyce is involved yes. in bodies being made. Maybe. 
Just maybe. She loves Tom so much, she just doesn't want him to be bored. <laughs> I don't like when there are only one death. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not like gruesome or anything like that, but when I, it, it's murders plural. Yeah, it's not midsummer murder. Yeah. So. And you just don't get the variety when there's only one. And there's lots of people who could have got killed here. Yeah, there's plenty of people Dave to Whiteley die. Dave could have got killed. The gouache Garrett, couple could have got killed. got killed. The gouache couple could have like overheard something and yeah. they could have got killed. They would have yeah. been great corpses. The landlady could have got killed. Absolutely. Oh, so many opportunities for corpses. And the other thing could have got killed. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm very tired. So let us know which of our kitty cat plots you liked best. Or provide one of your own. Yes. You guys were so awesome in the last two weeks giving us ideas for um, actors who should play a part in an episode of Midsummer. So we have high expectations. You guys are yep. so creative. I'm, are I'm really awesome. excited to see what you come up with. And do, seriously, rewatch the scene with the crane. And I'll post on Wednesday on the Facebook groups and stuff like that a reminder for this question so that you have know, something to reply to. Something to reply to. All right. That's all for this week, Maniacs. Uh, remember, we're on Facebook and Instagram and uh, the Twitters at, at MidsummerManiacs.com. We have an email address of uh, MidsummerManiacs at uh, gmail.com. We're the on the new, Reddits. The new episodes are being broadcast in the UK this week. So if you're in the UK and watching those new episodes, remember we have many episodes for each one of those that are spoiler-free. Uh, the first one this week was uh, episode, mini episode one. It's pronounced Chinook. <laughs> They're spoiler-free. So yep. you can feel free to listen to those mini episodes. They're not going to ruin it for you. No. Nope. We wouldn't do that to and you. We just, it's just 15 minutes of how we watch the show. Yeah. All right. Until next time, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. We need to move on. We need to hit the jackass detectives and how they treat Troy. Yeah. And then we need to get to the evidence room. This says that the cock and bull, they did the interiors there. Oh. It's cock and rabbit. It is. Also, there's a whole thing about roll doll. You can talk about that when they're in the strong room. Okay.